Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Praise the one who breaks the darkness. Well, there's a line in there. The one who frees the prisoners, turning blindness into sight. That's exactly what we see happening this coming Sunday. A man who is blind is given sight. Now, that has real-life implications for that man, but it's also been done to each of us by Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and he's director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. You say that this coming Sunday puts a strong light on Christ alone and faith alone. What do you mean? Well, this is the Sunday of a beggar that is by Jericho and he sits on the side of the road and he hears the commotion of Jesus coming and he asks, what's going on? Well, Jesus of Nazareth is coming and immediately he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. And that image of a beggar is what faith is. I don't have anything of my own. As the old hymn would say, Rock of Ages, you know, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And so that beggar's faith is singularly focused upon Jesus. A beggar has nothing. He's totally dependent of that one outside of himself. And in this case, it is Christ alone. So faith's object is in the Lord Jesus, the object of faith who is our Lord, our Savior. And that's really what this Sunday is about. It's a great, great prelude to Ash Wednesday, which follows Quinquagesima Sunday. We're nearly 50 days to Easter. And so on this Sunday of the Christian faith being singularly focused upon Christ alone, Jesus foretells his death upon the cross, his passion, his suffering, his death, his resurrection. And that is the object of our faith from the beginning to end of the Christian life. And then we see that kind of illustrated in the blind man who actually believes in Jesus when everyone else is actually blind who can see. So the blindness of unbelief in this Sunday's gospel reading gives way to the sight of repentant faith that's illustrated in that beggar. I just think a beggar is just a wonderful image of what it is to be a Christian. Another interesting feature about this Sunday is that, like so many other Bible narratives, those who can see are really blind 
And those who appear to be blind are so often those who can truly see. And if you think about blindness, you know, you've got to be led around by the hand if you can take in no light into your eyes whatsoever. If you've ever been in a cave and there's, you can't see to the end of your nose and you've got to be led. And that is what it is to be a Christian, that the eyes of faith are fixed upon Jesus alone and not at all upon ourself. And so that's really why this Sunday is the Christ alone, the faith alone Sunday of the Jesmas. And this Sunday prepares us for Lent as Jesus predicts his passion and then sets his face toward Jerusalem to suffer. But then the third day he will rise again. So it's not only the passion, but the resurrection in view. How does the collect for the day read? I love this collect. It begins so fervently. O Lord, mercifully hear our prayers. And having set us free from the bonds of our sins, deliver us from every evil. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I mean, this collect could be the prayer of the blind man on the side of the road. But notice how it begins. It doesn't follow the traditional collect structure. Traditional collect structure, you have a greeting. Now, this one does, O Lord, but it's very short. And then it often follows that greeting with a gospel foundation for the petition that would follow. Instead, in this collect, it immediately goes to the petition, mercifully hear our prayers, deliver us from every evil. Now, the reason that we can pray that he would mercifully hear our prayers and deliver us from evil is sandwiched in the midst of the petition itself. Namely, having set us free from the bonds of our sins. So that reason is sandwiched into the midst of the petition as if the cry of the congregation of the faithful, like that of the blind beggar on the side of the road, just cannot wait and is so urgently desiring the Lord's mercy and deliverance from evil that we simply blurt it out. Oh, Lord, mercifully hear our prayers. Deliver us from every evil, just like that blind man. So it's a wonderful collect. And we've been noticing how these collects in the Jesmas just so much focus upon the faith of the repentant Christian, the faith of the repentant congregation. So we come to the divine service earnestly like beggars desiring the Lord's preaching and desiring the Lord's supper. And through these, he mercifully hears our prayers and delivers us from every evil. The intro, it comes from Psalm 31, some selected verses. Read that out and explain it to us. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So, Todd, this intro is a prayer that rests confidently upon the sturdy assertions that the Lord is our rock of refuge, that he is our strong fortress to save us. We think of a mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon. You know, on the battlefield of this life where we contend with devil, world, and flesh, 
With might of ours cannot be done, soon were our loss affected, but for us fights the valiant one, whom God himself elected, namely Jesus Christ. And here again, the prayer of a beggar. So he is our rock and our refuge. And I, I love the antiphon, for your namesake, you lead me and you guide me. And we are called by God's name in the waters of holy baptism. He puts his name upon us. And so this gives us the right and the privilege to cry out to him for help, to claim the salvation that he has promised us in Christ Jesus as a gift of our baptism. And notice in the center of the intro it, in your righteousness, deliver me. That's the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God in the death of Jesus that makes atonement for sin. And then you notice the words of the Psalm verse five, into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And we cannot help but think of Jesus' prayer upon the cross. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It is based upon Psalm 31 here. So our confidence to pray into your hands, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God, rests upon Jesus' redemption of each and every one of us. And this prayer that he prayed on our behalf from the cross, in perfect faith, trusting in his Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And, you know, we talk about this Sunday of the beggar who cries out to Jesus. We should think of Jesus himself in his faith. His faith was singularly focused upon his Father, upon his Father's will. As we'll learn in the Gospel, he sets his faith to Jerusalem and his Faith does not waver. So it's in that confidence then that we take up the language of Psalm 31 in this prayer. Be gracious to me, O Lord. I'm in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. And so he who set his face to Jerusalem to suffer and die now turns his face toward us in redeeming love as our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need. Just wonderful intro. This The unity of the propers in the one-year series just never ceases to astound me and to delight me. The tract is the first three verses of Psalm 100. How does it fit in? One of these great psalms of praise at the in the Psalter. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So there's a lot of themes going on in this brief three-verse track that set up the gospel for the day. We should note the use of the word Lord here. That is the connection to the great I am, the eternal God of the promise of salvation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, who is the God of the patriarchs, the God of salvation. He is the one who is Lord of all the earth, and he is the one who truly is God. And we come into his presence with singing. And in the Old Testament for the day, we're going to hear about David, who is chosen to be the anointed king and the shepherd of Israel. And so here in the tract, you have of the Lord, he made us, we are his, we're his people, and the sheep of his pasture. So the tract gives voice to the blind beggar's confession of faith in Jesus, to whom he will give all glory and praise at the end of the gospel for the day. 
And it draws us into the thanksgiving and the praise of Jesus that both the crowd begins to sing as a witness of Jesus' healing of the blind beggar and as the beggar sings in his praising and glorifying of the Lord Jesus for his work of salvation. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. The gospel reading in Luke 18 is next. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Things above, that's the theme for this year's hymn sing at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The bridegroom soon will call us. Jerusalem the golden, wake awake for night is flying, and a whole bunch more. You don't want to miss it. Making the Case is Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. What is mental health? The February issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question of mental health with contributions from the LCMS Task Force on Mental Health, which is tasked with providing resources for Lutheran church workers to better care for their own mental health and those entrusted to their care. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church, Albany, Oregon, is a mid-Willamette Valley LCMS congregation where the liturgy lives and God's people worship as one with sound biblical doctrine, weekly communion, and a clear confession of Christ crucified for the sin of the world. Please join us at 2515 Queen Avenue Southeast or visit our website at www. HolyCrossLutheranAlbany.org Your Aunt Mabel's church banners are from the 60s. They were quite something in the day, especially the psychedelic bell-bottoms. But now the colours have faded, the tassels fell off years ago, and the hand-stitched letters are skew. Come on over to AdCrucem.com and see our beautiful, theologically correct, Christ-focused church banners. We can customise size and colour to meet your church's requirements. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. When the author of this hymn needed a children's procession hymn at a mission he had started in the economically depressed hamlet of Horbury Big, he pulled out this one, which he had published the preceding year in a national church newspaper. It would later remark it was written on a very simple fashion without thought of publication. It was written in great haste, and I'm afraid that some of the rhymes are faulty. I'm certain that nothing has surpassed me more than its popularity. He was talking, of course, about the hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. That's a little bit from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February. Eternal Anthems, The Story Behind Your Favorite Hymns, Volume 2. It's at our website, issuesetc.org. Or you can call Concordia Publishing House and order Eternal Anthems, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. 
Peter, we come to the gospel. It's Luke 18. You've mentioned it several times already. Luke 18, 31 through 43. How does it read? Taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Now you'll notice, Todd, that this gospel for Quinquagesima Sunday is kind of in two parts, but they are directly connected to each other. From verse 31 through 34, Jesus predicts in great detail his coming passion. And then in verse 35 through verse 43, the end of the gospel, he has the account of the miracle of the healing of the blind beggar on the side of the road. So here we see on the Sunday before Lent, before Ash Wednesday, that Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem for his passion. He clearly predicts this to his disciples, spelling out in explicit detail what will happen to him. But what do we hear? They understood none of these things. Everything written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, Luke records, or fulfilled. It indicates in that expression, in that catechesis that he gives in his gospel narrative, that the entirety of the Old Testament, the entire proclamation of the Old Testament, finds its fulfillment in Jesus' death and resurrection. Every detail of his passion, of his death, of his resurrection, clearly outlined. But what does the text say? They understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Now, what does that mean? Now, there are several options here. You know, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what he said. God hid the mystery of Christ's death from their understanding. Or perhaps we take up the third article explanation of the Apostles' Creed to understand it. I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe. The Holy Spirit must open the heart to faith and understanding when and where he pleases. Or perhaps both are in play. That God withheld the understanding from them until such time that 
through the very word itself that they would witness its fulfillment of in Jesus' death, resurrection, the Holy Spirit would open their hearts to faith. So I do say both are in play here. We learn from this text that the prophetic word of the Old Testament scriptures concerning the passion, death, and resurrection of the Son of Man is inseparably connected to the fulfillment of that word in the very events of salvation themselves. So this is what the apostles, as the chosen eyewitnesses of Jesus, were called to witness. And apart from the Holy Spirit, through his word, they could not grasp the mystery of Jesus' death and resurrection, nor comprehend its meaning, even if it was stated before them. And if I may, when we are dealing with unbelievers, an unbeliever may be able to hear you tell about Jesus is the Son of God. He was incarnate, born of the Virgin. He suffered and died in place of mankind to redeem them with the shedding of his blood, taking upon himself the sins of the world, bearing the punishment that we deserve. And then the third day he rose again from the dead, having taken away the sin that causes death. And they may hear that, but they don't believe it. They don't grasp it. It doesn't register with them. And they may even be able to recount the details. So we must never think that unbelief is simply the failure to believe that something is true. Behind unbelief is the deeper lack of trust and love and commitment to Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. And that kind of faith is only worked by the Holy Spirit through the word. And so in the second half of the gospel, it is evident that this blind beggar, though he was blind and he couldn't see, that he had had an encounter with Jesus before. And I think you can say that just about of anyone in the gospels who comes to Jesus and worships him, as this man surely does with the cry, son of David, have mercy on me. That is the cry of fundamental worship. I have nothing. You have everything. I'm the sinner. You are the savior. I'm a sinful man. You're the son of God. You are my redeemer. So the second half of the gospel is, I would argue, an illustration of the miracle of faith in Jesus' death and resurrection that the Holy Spirit creates in the heart by the preaching of the gospel. The blind see, a sign that testifies to the miracle of faith. Sometimes the image of hearing is equated with faith. Here in this gospel, seeing is equated with faith. So in the gospel for the day, notice the geography. Jericho was that notorious city that was cursed by God. You know, the walls came tumbling down during the ministry of Joshua as they cross over the, the Jordan River into the promised land. It's the first city that the Lord delivered to Israel uh, as they entered the promised land. Some interesting facts about Jericho, it's, it's in the south. It was about 825 feet below sea level, six miles west of the Jordan, near the Dead Sea. So one of my members pointed out to me after sexagesima Sunday with a sower in the seed that the seed of the word from Luke 8 in that gospel fell along the path, the roadside, and this blind beggar was one of the recipients 
who ended up believing that word and hence the miracle of faith. And it's the same word for roadside or way in both Luke 8 and here in this gospel. So when we talked about Sexagesima Sunday and the miracle of the sower and the seed, we talked about our total dependence upon scripture alone, the word of God, to bring about the miracle of faith. Well, we see that certainly in this gospel. Now, when the blind beggar inquires of the crowd, what the commotion is about. That the historical man, Jesus of Nazareth, is passing by. That's what they say. Jesus of Nazareth is coming. He immediately confesses his faith in him, calling him not Jesus of Nazareth, but son of David, which means he believed him to be the Messiah. And he's crying out for mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. So he clearly confesses faith in Jesus as his savior, the anointed one, the true son of David, the descendant of the tribe of Judah, the house of David, who would bring about the gift of salvation. So here we have it, faith alone in Christ alone. It's illustrated in the confession of the blind beggar's faith. And the miracle of faith in Christ alone in this beggar is an example of how one who is least likely to come to repentance and faith in Jesus, a poor blind beggar near Jericho who has no worldly status is the one who knows and the one who believes in who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. How often we see this in the Gospels where those who are at the lowest social or economic or health status, those who are suffering the most, those who have no standing in the world, are those in whose hearts the Holy Spirit, when and where he pleases, works the miracle of faith. So we have another example here. It's important to emphasize, I think, Todd, just how the blind beggar's faith is centrally focused upon Jesus alone. He is the object of his trust. In other words, what I'm trying to emphasize there is the blind beggar isn't patting himself on the back for his faith. No, the object of his faith is Jesus. And one can say that he could see Jesus even before his sight was restored. And I think that's just a wonderful aspect about this particular miracle. And it shows, like almost all of the miracles, that these are signs that teach us uh, greater truths and greater realities, even beyond the reality of like physical resurrection or the recovery of some physical malady. That Jesus then stopped after this man cried out, and called this blind beggar to himself is a wonderful expression of the call of Christ to each one of us in the gospel, his desire for our salvation, his yearning for us. And he never, ever in the gospels, ever, ever disappoints anyone who cries out to him for mercy and salvation. Not a one. What a great comfort that should be to each one of us. So that I may receive my sight, he says, and that's my preferred translation, that I may receive my sight. It is as if he were saying that I may see you, Lord, my Savior and God. And this is the confession of faith in Jesus. So by the word, be able to see or receive your sight, Jesus restores the man's sight. The power to heal, the power to save is in Jesus' word. And so Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And what that literally means is your faith has saved you. The Greek word there is zoe, saved. For the object of his faith is Jesus. So the son of man, the son of David, 
who is going to the cross on his behalf. So it is as if Jesus were saying to him, your Jesus has saved you. The blind beggar's faith would not waver as he sees Jesus die upon the cross because Jesus had saved him. And of course, the death of Christ is the source of that salvation. And he followed Jesus immediately and he glorified God together with those who witnessed this miracle. So I would take it that this blind beggar, now with his sight restored, follows Jesus and the rest of the throng of, of disciples into Jerusalem and likely saw the very crucifixion that Jesus had foretold at the beginning of the gospel for the day. We'll be looking at the Old Testament reading in 1 Samuel 16, 1-13. As we look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender, right after the break. Several issues, etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and lay people worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy promotes confessional Lutheran theology through conferences, scholarly exchanges, and publications like Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up for their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. I think every man, every Christian should consider, at least, the possibility of God calling him into the holy ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Carl Fakencher of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Because that's the way that God has designed for faith in Christ Jesus to be spread, for the gift of eternal life that Christ Jesus earned by his death and resurrection to be shared with people by the washing of baptism for infants and for adults, for the instruction, the proclamation of the word that happens uh, on a nonstop basis in God's kingdom. God uses people, he uses men to be those proclaimers, to be those men who, who share the, the sacraments. 
If you've ever considered becoming a pastor, contact Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Their phone number, 1-800-481-2155, 1-800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. Issues, etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender, director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. What is the Old Testament reading? How does it read, Peter? The Old Testament is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 16, and sometimes our Old Testament readings are from the prophets, and so they are perhaps more abstract. But this Old Testament reading is a narrative, and it is the account of the selection of David to be king from the tribe of Judah, replacing Saul, whom the Lord had rejected. And so it begins in this way. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Todd, clearly in this particular narrative, it is the Lord 
and the Lord alone who makes his choice of David, electing him, calling him to be king from the tribe of Judah in place of Saul. It wasn't Samuel's choice. It wasn't David's father's choice. And in this particular narrative, we see that, again, things are turned upside down. Samuel's reason is turned upside down when the Lord calls the youngest to be his anointed. Why? For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Of course, this heart of David was a heart of faith in the Lord, which the Lord himself had created in David's heart. And this is the connection to the gospel for the day. So I think clearly Samuel's grief at the beginning of the narrative over the outcome of Saul's service as king was not only a cause of grief for Samuel, but it also is an example of how we judge things by outward appearances or by perceived worth that we might see in another person. But God never deals in that way. I mean, we think about the Septuagesima Sunday and the workers in the vineyard. They're all paid the denarius. So God's gift of grace and God's gift of salvation, which the blind beggar received in the gospel, or the gift of the kingly office that David received as the Lord's anointed, is entirely a gift of God's grace. So Samuel knew that the Lord had rejected Saul because of his introverted self-worship, his impenitence, and his rejection of the Lord as the source of his life and salvation. But still he grieves. And one can understand that grief, that the tragic end to Saul's reign as king. And then we see Samuel is afraid of Saul, as are those in Bethlehem. Do you come in peace? And he grieves over the demise of Saul's reign. And the people of Bethlehem are fearful that the presence of the prophet might mean that Saul's vengeance will somehow come upon them because he was so erratic and out of control at this point in his service as king. So Samuel's reason is turned upside down and they will not have the feast at the Lord's direction until the Lord's man is brought, the youngest son. Now, I think there's an irony in this. You know, it's said that the Lord does not judge as man judges. You know, man looks at the outward appearance. And, and I think when we hear that, we expect that the king that's going to be chosen is the ugliest, scrawniest kid on the block. But that's not the case. Though God does not judge by outward appearances, David was nonetheless described in the narrative as ruddy and had a beautiful eyes and he was handsome. And so we think of the great sculpture of David. And I think that great sculpture is spot on and it depicts what was described of David here. But that's not the reason he was chosen. The reason he was chosen is because God had made of him a man after his own heart, a heart that was singularly focused upon the Lord in humble, repentant faith. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful Old Testament reading for the gospel for the day. There is an alternative Old Testament in Isaiah 35, 3 through 7. Yes, Isaiah 35, beautiful, comforting picture. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. 
for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Todd, this Old Testament reading admonishes us and encourages us not to speak to a blind beggar who has no standing in the world like the crowd spoke to that beggar on the side of the road, but rather admonishes us to strengthen the weak hands and to make firm the feeble knees, to bring such beggars before the Lord Jesus that he might speak his forgiving and life-saving word to them, that we might tell them, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come, and he has come in the person of the Lord Jesus with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He has come to save you. And I think of uh, Handel's Messiah, the result of his ministry, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. What a great picture of the broken sinner where the maladies of sin affect him in every way is set free from the bondage of sin and every physical and spiritual infirmity. And he leaps for the joy of salvation because his God has come and has saved him. So it's a wonderful Old Testament. I have used both of these Old Testament readings, depending on the accent that I want to focus upon in the uh, sermon for the day. I think it would be good to ask the question, you know, what does God take vengeance upon? What does he make recompense for, as Isaiah 35 indicates? And very simply, it's our sin and the judgment and condemnation that is against us. The Lord Jesus utterly vanquishes by taking it all upon himself through his death upon the cross. And so the good news, therefore, of God's victory in Christ's suffering and death is that is that good news which strengthens the weak hands and which makes firm the feeble knees, uh, the blessing of salvation in all of its fullness as described in Isaiah 35 is so beautifully illustrated here. And one can close their eyes and, and have the imagination of this. And it does speak of Christian hope too, doesn't it, Todd? As, as we're setting our face to the beginning of Lent and to Jesus' passion, the goal, the ultimate, is the resurrection that Jesus' passion, death, will bring forth as he makes recompense for sin, as he satisfies the judgment of God that is against us. And we will all leap for joy in that day. He's the first fruits of those who will rise from the dead, and we, like stall-fed calves, will, you know, leap and kick up our heels after him in the same joy of salvation that he won for us. You think of the, the blind beggar, or the cripple, or the cleansed leper, or the deaf mute. They will all join in this great triumphal procession of victory. Our God has come. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the Historic One-Year Lectionary, with Pastor Peter Bender, pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. I'm Todd Wilkin. If you appreciate Pastor Bender's teaching, be sure to attend the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th, at Concordia University, Chicago. Pastor Bender will be making the case for a dying man's consolation. The early bird registration fee is $140 and includes three meals. For more information, give us a call, 618-223-8385, or visit issuesetc.org. Making the case, June 16th and 17th in River Forest, Illinois. When we come back, the gradual from Psalm 77. 
Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org slash stewardship. Theology for blue collar, white collar, and clerical collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Wednesday, February the 15th, we're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, what's the gradual for the coming Sunday? The gradual is Psalm 77, verses 14 and 15. The gradual always moves us from the Old Testament for the day into the epistle. And it reads, You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. What a great gradual for Christ alone and faith alone. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might. With your arm, you redeemed your people. So all glory to God for his saving works is declared in this gradual Psalm 77. The gift of salvation and the gift of faith are all attributed to God. He is the source of redemption for his people. And this clearly directs us to the cross and the shedding of his blood in sacrificial love for us, which so beautifully sets up the epistle on love that describes God's very nature and the heart of our Lord Jesus as he sojourns to the cross on our behalf. The epistle, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, the passage usually associated with a marriage rite. And it reads as follows, 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Todd, I'm glad that you referenced this passage from 1 Corinthians 13 as a passage that often finds its way into the marriage rite. And well, it should, because when we are giving ourselves to one another in holy matrimony as husbands and wives do, we are pledging ourselves to a love that is of a higher order than the love of like, than the love that is based on how pretty or handsome the spouse is. It's a love that is greater than the love of delight for someone that pleases you and with whom you have something in common. No, this is the love of God. The word for love here is the word agape in the Greek New Testament. In the old King James, it was translated as charity. And it is that sacrificial, self-giving love of God. And Paul clearly in 1 Corinthians a man who had been, prior to his conversion, so full of hate, had the love of God capture his heart and had transformed him. And he came to learn the nature of God's love through the very gospel of God's sacrifice for him. He who had been an enemy of the cross, who had once tried to destroy the faith, was called by the grace of God, by this love of God, to salvation and by the forgiveness that he did not deserve, he learned of the love of God and that love began to shape his life in patience and kindness and so forth as described in this particular passage. So, I mean, if you could say, is this talking about the love of God or is this talking about the love that Christians have through their faith in Christ? And the answer is yes. The foundation for that love is God's love in Christ's sacrifice but it begins to work so beautifully in the hearts of those who receive his love in the gospel. 
So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because the love of which we are speaking is the love that is God's nature, the love that moved the Father to send his Son, the love that moved the Son to lay down his life for us. There will come a time where faith will pass away and we see him face to face, no longer looking through a glass darkly, when we will no longer have to hope for what is not seen, but we will realize the fullness of the resurrection. But that love will never end. It will abide and endure forever. Just a a beautiful epistle for this Sunday as we look forward to the beginning of Lent and Jesus' sojourn to the cross. How would you summarize this coming Sunday in terms of long gospel? I have just two points that I'd like to make under our malady to which the preacher must address the law in his sermon for the day. Number one, we are so often blinded by self-reliance and human reason that we do not believe how utterly dependent we are upon Christ and the gift of salvation that comes through faith in him alone. And so we think of the crowd there who belittled and tried to send this beggar away, or we think of even Samuel or Jesse who thought, surely one of the elder and more qualified sons will be the king, not this youngest of all who is nothing but a shepherd. No, he's the one. We're so totally dependent upon the Lord. He's the one that called David. He's the one that calls us through the gospel, and it is an invitation of pure grace. Number two, we may be tempted to believe that Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection is not the center and source of all Christian doctrine and life, but rather only one among many things that we might teach or believe as Christians. In other words, we don't believe that all theology is Christology that centers in the atonement of Jesus, but it absolutely is. And there's no other reason for the Son of Man to be incarnate, to suffer, to die, but to make atonement for our sin and to reconcile us to God. And all of Christian theology and entire life as a Christian is anchored in and flows from what Christ did for us upon the cross. The unique gospel for the day, I guess I would say three things very briefly about this. Number one, Jesus rescues us from the blindness of sin and self-reliance by a word. When Jesus says, your faith has made you well, or your faith has saved you. It is as if he were saying, your Jesus has saved you. Your Savior has saved you. I save you. Do not be afraid. Be of good cheer. Number two, faith justifies not because it is our work. Faith justifies because the Christian faith is entirely in Jesus, faith's object. We are all beggars before God, and that is so very comforting. And finally, number three, Jesus died for you because he loves you and because you could not in the slightest pay for your sins or rescue yourself from the condemnation of hell or elevate yourself to some status that he is more pleased with. He has loved you and he has paid the price for you and he died for you. Thanks be to God. With about a minute, what would you say about the hymn of the day, Praise the One Who Breaks the Darkness? Oh, praise the one who breaks the darkness. It, it highlights all of those things that we kind of 
brushed over at the beginning very quickly in a survey sort of fashion, all of those wonderful signs that Messiah has come in all of the healing miracles of Jesus. And every one of those healing miracles of Jesus, as the hymn of the day for this Sunday, prior to the beginning of Lent, looks forward to kind of its trajectory to the result of Jesus' atoning sacrifice upon the cross, namely that we shall all rise from the dead and leap for joy and join in this grand procession of salvation as on the last day the trumpet sounds and we ascend with our Lord Jesus to heaven. So praise the one who breaks the darkness. And as that hymn declares in the last stanza, all glory belongs to the Lord who has laid down his life for us and set us free from the bondage of sin and every malady that sin has brought into our lives. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin. He's director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks. Thanks, Todd. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll have Dr. Jordan Cooper respond to your questions and comments about Luther's large catechism with annotations and contemporary applications. And we'll get a biography of 19th century Lutheran theologian Wilhelm Leia with Dr. Cameron McKenzie. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.